Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Mennonite Seminary Chapel Worship. Welcome to those of you gathered in person in Martin Chapel, and welcome to those of you joining virtually. Sisters, brothers, cousins, beloved of God, may you experience grace and peace as we worship God together this morning. We are in the season of Easter, the season of joy. Jesus is risen and there is much to celebrate. And yet, even almost 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection, we are still living in the now and not yet. We are still waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. And life for us is often difficult. Life is not always hammocks, chocolate-covered pretzels, and cat videos, even though that would be really nice. We suffer in small ways and in big ways. But we have hope because Jesus. Please join me in reading the call to worship. I will read the regular print and ask you to join me on the bold print. Some of us are exhausted. We come to rest. Some of us are curious. We come to learn. Some of us are hungry. We come to be fed. Some of us are disoriented. We come to pray. Some of us are broken. We come to be healed. We gather around you today, O oh Christ. Heal us, hear us, feed us, teach us, grant us your peace. Our gathering hymn this morning is from The Faith We Sing, Number 2128, come and find the quiet center. If you want to see the notes, you'll need to um, look at it in the hymnal. Um, up on the um, projection, you will see the words.
We actually have the prayer on the screen, please. Thank you. Perfect. Please join me in prayer. God, we have so few ways to pray, but you have so many ways to answer. Keep us alert to your unpredictable answers, to your unexplainable surprises. And by your grace, make us to become unexplainable surprises. For the keep next slide, please. For the sake of the one who taught us the surprises of moving mountains, healing touches, wondrous stories, great banquets, first suppers, broken bread, crosses and resurrections. Amen. I'd like to invite Lydia to read our scripture for this morning. A reading from Matthew 14, verses 13 to 33. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. And immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. 
So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
It's my pleasure to introduce our guest preacher today, Reverend Rachel Ringenberg Miller, who is here visiting campus for two days as the denominational minister for ministerial leadership for Mennonite Church USA. Rachel focuses on engaging with conferences and congregations. She helps to provide resources and services to meet all of the diverse demands facing congregations today and their ministerial leadership. Ringenberg Miller graduated from Goshen College in Indiana and here from Eastern Mennonite Seminary with her MDiv in 2007. She has 15 years of congregational ministry experience as associate pastor of Portland Mennonite Church in Oregon and pastor of Shalom Mennonite Church in Newton, Kansas. She and her family attend 8th Street Mennonite Church in Goshen, Indiana. I also want to mention that later today, Reverend Rachel will be available to meet with students from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. in the seminary gathering area outside the chapel foyer and through the double doors. So students, if you are interested in talking with her about ministry leadership opportunities in Mennonite Church USA, hearing about the vocation of ministry and being inspired for your calling, I invite you to join at 1.30. Thank you for being here. We look forward to hearing from you. Good morning. It is great to be here. It has been a while since I have been on this platform, um, and it's fun, fun to be back in a familiar uh, space. Please join me in prayer. God, we ask for our hearts to be open, that in seeing we may perceive, that in hearing we may understand. And then understanding, we may love and act in your name. Amen. As was stated earlier, I was in congregational ministry for 15 years before I entered this role as denominational minister of ministerial leadership for Mennonite Church USA. And I loved congregational ministry. I love it so much that I think everyone ought to do it. Like, there is nothing more fantastic than walking with a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus the very best that they can. Ministry is glorious. Like, think of an Easter morning worship service. At the same time, ministry can be heart-wrenching like walking with families after a suicide. And ministry is also mundane. Think about you know, business meetings, congregational meetings. As I thought about that particular thing, my mind went back to a class that I had here at EMS with Lonnie Yoder, which was about, I think, administration or something to that effect. And the one 
takeaway, I'm sure I had more takeaways, but the one that I still remember is about putting times next to each agenda item. And those, my friends, are words to live by right there. <laughs> so ministry is a lot of things. It's a lot of things. Ministry is beautiful. Ministry is gritty. Ministry is about bringing heaven to earth. But mostly, ministry is what happens between two or more people, which means ministry involves humans, not just God. Once you get people involved, ministry becomes complicated. And, and this real life, like on the ground ministry, is the picture that is painted for us in this Matthew text. To me, the story of Jesus is an accurate reflection on what it looks like to minister and to lead within a faith community. So our text starts off with, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. This text begins with the need for Jesus to get away, some time away from the work that is in ministry. And this is because Jesus' friend, his cousin, the one who baptized him is dead, murdered, executed by the state. I often say that ministry is flexible until it's not. And this is what Jesus finds, too. He's on his way to do some self-care when he encounters a great crowd. And this is the exact opposite of how Jesus was intending to spend his time. Remember, his goal was to withdraw to a deserted place. And now he is most definitely not by himself. Large crowds trail him, desperate for his healing. And so he tends to their illness and eventually their hunger. Jesus is compassionate towards this crowd when it would be so easy to say instead, just, just come back tomorrow. Jesus does what he can do. He offers compassion and healing. And once this is done, Jesus' disciples, his gatekeepers, are like, okay, let's go. Send the crowds away. It's late. They're hungry, or maybe rather they're saying, we're hungry. What happens next is a miracle, but also a powerful move of delegation. Delegation is a key in congregational ministry. We leaders cannot lead all the time. Not even Jesus, the Son of God. Plus, 
What is the point of having volunteers if they're not empowered to do the work to which they have volunteered? Now, granted, sometimes volunteers don't want to do the thing that they volunteered to do. But I have found with a gentle yet direct statement, they will do their work with joy. As Jesus said to the twelve, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And so as the story goes, the disciples have the loaves of bread and the fish. Jesus once again takes the reins of leadership and he says to the disciples, bring them, meaning the food, to me. Jesus arranges the crowd tells them to sit down, he prays for the meal, and once again delegates to the disciples. The people are fed. And there's even food left for the disciples. And all are happy. Well, sort of, right? Because Jesus still hasn't done the thing that he has been wanting to do, that he's been needing to do when our text started. Jesus still hasn't had time to be with himself after a tragic event. My advice to pastors is always to take time away after a tragedy, a conflict, or some kind of disorienting event. Because if you don't, you won't be able to continue. Even if you can only take a small amount of time away, take it. It will help. And here's what I mean. I was once leading a funeral for a 40-year-old man who died of cancer. At the time of his death, he was married and had two school-aged children. This man was well-beloved by his church community, the community of which he worked, which was a college, and the town that he lived in. The worship service was moved to the college where he worked so that everyone could attend, and also so the service could be live-streamed because this was before COVID, and so we didn't have the capacity to, to stream it ourselves. And so it was streamed because this man's reach went well beyond his local communities. This grief was felt intensely. Not that grief isn't always intense, but this kind of grief just like filled every space. It was a lot to coordinate. There was a different building. There was like 500 plus people. Everyone had an opinion. Not to mention just the act of worship itself for the funeral. The days leading up to the funeral, I could feel myself losing it. At some points, I felt deeply overwhelmed. At other points, I was confident, like I I got this. And other times, just apathetic, like, whatever. It'll happen, somehow. 
As I walked through the college church that day, I realized that I wasn't breathing. I looked at my watch and I realized that I had some time before the worship service started, before the funeral started. So I left the building. I went to another building and I found a bathroom. And then I did a yoga forward fold. (laughs) I breathed, I prayed, and I just let myself hang in that forward fold. And then I slowly rolled back up and then I did it again. And then feeling more like myself, I entered the college church ready. And then after the worship service, I scurried out again before anyone could talk to me. And I went to that same building, that same bathroom, and repeated my forward fold. In order to not only survive, but to thrive in ministry, to do this thing to which we have been called, we have to take time for ourselves. Otherwise, we won't make it. Jesus knew this. His divinity was no match for human emotions and relationships. Therefore, once the ministry, the ministry session was over, Jesus immediately made his disciples get into the boat. And I love that it says, made them get in the boat. I don't know if they were like kicking and screaming or if they were like, wait, wait, we want to go with you. Like, I don't know. But I love that he made them get into the boat. And then he dismissed the crowds. And then, and then Jesus went to the mountain to pray. And so finally, finally Jesus has his moment, his spacious place to grieve, to pray, to be silent, basically the space to come back to himself. We can't be present with others if we haven't taken the time to care for ourselves. In Anabaptist circles, we often talk about servant leadership, that Jesus came to serve, and so it is the same for us. However, serving others should not come at the cost of ourselves. That is not servant leadership. In order to lead, you need to know yourself, what you can handle. And when is the time to bring in the expert? When you need a break. And when you need to pull on your adult pants and dive back in. After I graduated from Eastern Mennonite Seminary, I I would joke that I was tired of myself. I was tired of myself because for three years, once a week, I wrote a reflection paper. I don't know if this is still a thing. Okay, I'm guessing it is. 
Oh my word, I was so done. So done. (laughs) However, however, writing those weekly reflection papers was and is a lifesaver. Because it gave me the skills to differentiate, to, to know when something in ministry was about me and when it wasn't. And spoiler alert, keep your ears open for this. This is important. In congregational ministry, the criticisms, the conflicts are rarely about you. Rather, it is about the community, the context, the system. I'm not saying it's never about you, but mostly it is not. So take a breath, go back to those reflection papers, and then enter back in. But getting back to the point, to to thrive in ministry is to know yourself, what you need, and not to be afraid to say it and to do it. Jesus did that too. He told the crowd to leave. He instructed his disciples to get on the boat. He took time to come back to himself so he could enter back in to ministry. And when he was ready, he noticed some things had shifted, like quite literally shifted, right? The boat was away from the shoreline. Now, there are so many ways to interpret this part of the story. Like, was Jesus just being pragmatic? You know, he's a son of God. He can walk on water. He needs to get to the boat, so he just goes, right? Like, I don't know, maybe. Or was this some sort of symbol of his divinity? The disciples definitely viewed that as such. I mean, Jesus is divine. So the disciples weren't wrong, though it would have been super unexpected to see a person walking on water. And so it's, it's interesting to me, or, or maybe it makes sense, that the disciples thought Jesus was a ghost. They didn't recognize him. He looked different to them somehow. And as I was reflecting on what Jesus went to do or, or how he was feeling at the beginning of the story, perhaps it makes sense that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus. Because it is true that a well-rested, renewed person does not look the same as a grieved and tired person. My final thought about this passage and what it tells us about ministry is this. Be like Peter. Peter wants to join Jesus. Jesus says, sure, come join me. And Peter Peter joins him. He jumps out of the boat. He takes a risk of faith. Peter walks with Jesus until he doesn't. Walking with Jesus on water is scary. It's risky. And if you think about it too hard, you're going to want to turn back. 
And so Peter sinks. Jesus saves him and chides him. And then after that, one of the most beautiful things happens. The disciples worship Jesus. Worship is beautiful. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is worshipped and called the Son of God. As I said at the beginning, this experience of Jesus is an accurate, an accurate reflection on what it looks like to minister and lead in a congregation. Now, I realize that not all of you are going into congregational ministry. So, if nothing else, maybe you've gained some empathy for your peers or your pastor. Although, some of these things will translate into other positions. The challenge of ministry is that it is beautiful and that it is gritty all at the same time. It's that way because ministry involves people and relationships along with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It is beautiful to be in a community with others who desire to follow Jesus. It is beautiful to gather and to plan worship, to study the Bible together, to pray and support each other. It's gritty because a minister means that you are with people when they are at their best and when they are at their worst. It's gritty because it can take a toll on you if you are not balancing self-care with the needs of the congregation. These are the challenges. And here is the hope, the, the good news, which is your call will keep you going. Jesus knew who he was when he was on earth. He was a son of God called to relentlessly expand God's love. Having the confidence in your call to ministry is half the work. The other half is trusting that God has, God is, and God will show up. Trust your call, that still small voice. When we talk about call as Anabaptists, we often talk about the inner call and the outer call. The inner call being the one of how you experience God calling you personally, and the outer one of those around you seeing something in you. So sometimes it will be that inner call that sustains you, like you deeply know that this is what God wants you to do. And other times it will be the outer call, people's actions or words that say, we see you. I know that I have been lifted up by both, and I know the same will be for you.
Ministry is beautiful. Ministry is gritty. And for that reason, I leave you with these words from Jesus. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Ministry definitely has beautiful moments of ease um, and also challenging moments that require a lot of grit. Um, Thank you for showing us how Jesus modeled so beautifully how to um, give compassion to ourselves and to others. Um, About a year ago, I was introduced to the practice of mindful self-compassion. And as I was preparing um, for today's service, um, one of the meditations from um, the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook, um, written by Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, kept coming to my mind. Um, It's one of my favorites, and I use it often um, because it helps me to stop and care for myself first, um, allowing God's love to fill me and then send that care out to others. Um, Compassion for myself, compassion for others. First being filled by the breath of kindness the Ruach of the Holy God. So as a sermon response today, um, I thought I would, um, I would like to guide you in abbreviated <laughs> um, giving and receiving compassion meditation. Um, the full meditation would take about 20 minutes, um, which I will not put you through that today. But I do want to give you a taste of this experience. Um, You can do this anywhere. Um, You can do it in um, the bathroom before (laughs) you're going in uh, to um, speak somewhere, Um, like the yoga pose. Um, I use it often. Um, So I thought I would just give you an abbreviated version of giving and receiving compassion. So I invite you to sit comfortably in your chair and close your eyes if that's comfortable for you or lower your gaze if closing your eyes doesn't feel comfortable. Now taking a few deep, relaxing breaths, notice how your breath nourishes your body as you breathe in and soothes your body as you breathe out. Allow your breath to find its own natural rhythm. 
Feel the sensation of breathing in and breathing out. Now focus your attention only on your in-breath. Allow yourself to savor the sensation of breathing in. Notice how the in-breath energizes your whole body. And as you breathe in, experience breathing in kindness and compassion for yourself. Or perhaps you prefer letting a word or an image of kindness ride in on your breathing. Breathing in kindness and compassion for yourself. invite you to shift your focus to your out breath. As you breathe out, notice the ease of exhalation. And as you exhale, call to mind someone that you love or someone who is struggling and in need of compassion. See that person as clearly as you can in your mind. And start directing that your out breath toward that person. Offering this person your ease of breathing out. And if you wish, sending kindness and compassion to this person with each out breath. And now you can put the two of them together. And as you breathe in, breathe in for yourself. And as you breathe out, breathe out for the other person. In for me and out for you. In for me and out for me, you.
drawing kindness in and compassion out. Feel free to adjust the balance. If you feel you need more compassion for yourself, focus two breaths in for yourself. Or let it be equal. Whatever is right for you in this moment. Allowing your breath to flow in and out like the gentle movement of the ocean. Or if you like, like the breath of God, a limitless, boundless flow, flowing in and flowing out. The breath of compassion. God's love breathing into you and breathing out from you. As you're ready, I invite you to bring your awareness back to being here in this space where we are and gently opening your eyes. And let us sing together. Lord Jesus, you shall be my song.
offer these words of blessing. Go now knowing that you are called to join Jesus in ministry. And go knowing that God is with you. Go in peace.